M&K Talk YA now presents Crooked Kingdom Part 2 from the Six of Crows series by Lee Bardugo. M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And we just finished the second part of the second book of the Six of Crows series. This book was called Crooked Kingdom. So we're done with the Grishaverse. Oh, I am so sad. I'm so sad it's over. Because we've been here for like, gosh, six, how many episodes? Six books, right? Or So it's like 10, 11 episodes? Yeah, something like, yeah, 11. Because the short stories was just one episode and the other five books were two. Oh, yeah, So. And I'm just really bummed that we don't get to be here anymore. (laughs) Okay, well, a couple of things. We'll eventually get to come back when Nikolai's books come out. I forget what they're (gasps) called now. Oh, that's right. The King of Scars. And Nikolai was in this book. I know, and I, like, screamed (laughs) when I saw that because I was just like, Katie is going to be so happy. (laughs) I was so happy. I was going to text you about it, but I didn't want to stop reading because I was hoping he'd keep showing up. Um, So that was kind of a fun, it's fun to like see some of the old people. And it also made me realize because at first I was thinking, even though we saw some of the Grisha from before, since Grisha who use their powers can live so long, I was still kind of like confused about how far in time we were from before. Yeah. Um, and not that not that it's completely clear yet, but at least like Nikolai's still alive and he was human, so yeah. <laughs> like it's in his lifetime. <laughs> and they said, but they were talking about how he's like a young king, and so the kingdom's kind of like a little vulnerable. So I think it's like yeah. pretty soon after uh, Shadow and Bone. Yeah, like within the decade after or something like that, probably. Right? Yes. So I was thinking that we. Did not come up with a fan name yet. Oh, yeah. I know. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the last book and we haven't come up with a fan name. So did you think of any fan names for um, the followers or the fans of Six of Crows? No. But (laughs) I was trying to think. So, like, (laughs) okay, this is is where my thinking went. So, okay, my best friend from college had – um, he didn't listen to the radio. He listened to vocabulary CDs when he drove us. What? Yeah. Was so, he studying for a test? Like a no. GMAT or something? Okay. Just, that's what he likes no, to do. That's fine. He just, he just doesn't really like music and he likes to learn. I, and the funny thing is his now wife is a music major from oh. college. So like she loves music and like, you know, that's what she pursued. And he's like, not even in the car will I listen to the oh radio. <laughs> he must know so many words. <laughs> And I didn't ride with him that often because we didn't really have cars on campus. But once he gave me a ride and I learned the word ledger domain, do you know what that means? Sounds very familiar. It's a synonym for sleight of hand. Uh-huh. And for some reason, I used to always like, just as a joke, if people like asked me how to do something, I'd be like magic or it means <laughs> sleight of hand. But um, 
So it, another synonym is magic. So I used to, after I learned that word, that used to be my response for things like, oh, like if I didn't want to like go into the detail or, you know, it wasn't really yeah. something I had to explain. I'd just be That's like, magic. oh, ledger domain. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about it when we were thinking about like Kaz and his sleight of hand tricks and the thieves, but I don't know how that fits into a name, but that's my random related story about <laughs> how far I went with this. <laughs> Vaguely related. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to be the Ledger Domains <laughs> their fan name, um, but I did think of three possibilities. Ooh, okay. Let's hear um, And my favorite one is the last one. You can see if you agree. So the obvious choice for fan name is the drags. Yeah. Which that's too is obvious. too obvious. And then I was thinking of the Crow Club because that's like his business. I like that more. It's a little bit better, but then, okay, I think, I think the one you're going to like best um, so you know how their slogan is no mourners, no funerals? Yeah. I think the fans should be called mourners. Ooh. I like because, that. Yeah, because it's like, if they die, we would be the ones to mourn them. Yes. And even with the book being done, like, we're kind of mourning that because we're such big fans. Yeah. I really, I, I liked that. I like that a lot. Okay. That's okay. way better than whatever random rabbit hole I was going down. <laughs> But speaking of no mourners and no funerals, uh, we kind of had a funeral. We, I did. I mean, in my own mind, at least. And we had a couple mourners, too. We had five mourners. <laughs> Actually, six if you count Quay. Yeah, seven if you count uh, Colby, or what was the dad's name again? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Colm? Jesper's dad, Colm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, Matthias. I'm kind of glad, you know how I always like want someone to die, especially I'm like, I know I kind of got, I forget if it was Jesper or Wylan or Kaz or someone else who was saying like, I sort of thought we were all going to make it because we've survived so many things up until this point. And I sort of agree, except um, it just seems more fitting. Like it seems crazy that all six of those would have survived everything that they went up against and all the crazy things that went wrong. But I was not expecting him to die. And you couldn't help but feel that, like, all six had to come out. Yeah. At least I did. And I did not expect Matthias to die. I thought it was kind of a cool way for him to go, too, though. Like, yeah. it was so unexpected. It wasn't, like, one of their big enemies. It wasn't, like, a heist gone wrong. It was just a boy who used to be, like, or who he, you know. He admired. Yeah. He used to admire him and now thinks he's a traitor yeah. for being with Grisha. And, yeah, it's... Although part of me, too, is like, Matthias, you really think you're going to, like, talk to this boy on the street, like, right now? Like, <laughs> like I really yeah. admired his goal of trying to change the thinking of um, the Fjordians. Is that the right mm-hmm. way to say that? Group? Yeah, the dress goal. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of was like, I feel like you should at least, like, try not to get in a fight or shot or something. But Well, he was being held at gunpoint. You know, like, that kid just came out of nowhere. Yeah. But I'm, it, I love that he made it back to Nina. Ugh. I love that he made her promise to, like, try to keep pursuing their mission. I mean, it was so yeah. sad. But I also, I'm also glad. I did feel like they had, they deserved more, but they did have a little bit of time together, you know? Not a nearly enough, though. I know. And it was so sad when she brought him back, because her new gift is like she can manipulate the dead and so she brought him back and at first I really thought like oh he's gonna be fine like she'll just bring him back and then when she was just like 
I have to let you go. Okay, oh. Marissa, we've already learned you can't bring boyfriends back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> if the young elites taught us anything. <laughs> but oh, but I was just gu- so gutted. I was like on a plane actually flying when I read that part and I was just like really trying so hard not to cry. Well, and because it was like right at the end, so you kind of felt like, okay, they pulled it off, like, good for them, let's see all the loose ends get tied up, and then it happened. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was rough. But I felt like it worked really well. I didn't feel like yeah. she was just killing someone to kill them. Like, sometimes I think authors do that, but... No, it was just fitting because, like, he was that boy, you yeah. know? At one point, he was that soldier, and, I mean, the tables just were totally turned. And if he had been in that situation, who's to say he wouldn't have shot, you know, himself? Mm-hmm. Or someone who had been doing what he had been doing, consorting with the, the Grisha. Yeah. And you just see him come so far, though. Like, when he leads his own little Grisha army, um, and he... Yeah. Starts I mean, to think that, like, their gift could be from God, or whatever their God is named, instead of an abomination. Yeah, and there was a part where he looked at Nina, and instead of seeing her as monstrous, mm-hmm. he thought miraculous. I thought that was really kind of really signaled his shift in thought and how far he'd come. And it also, like, it's hard that none of them even knew it happened to him, right? Like, we knew it happened because we saw that scene, but mm-hmm. he made it back to Nina to say goodbye and didn't get to explain anything, just made her promise to, you know, bury him properly, basically, and not give up on their, their mission. So I was thinking. Okay. And it may be too soon because... He, like, literally just died. But what do you think about Nina and Nikolai? Um, I don't know. I mean, they haven't even interacted at all, so I don't really have a sense for... I mean, they they haven't really interacted at all, have they? She wasn't on the boat when they... No. Yeah, so... But that's why... Or maybe they did a little bit, but I just remember thinking, like, what I know of Nikolai and what I know of Nina... I feel like they would be really good together, and I kind of want to ship them in this new series, this new King of Scars series. I don't hate it, but I'm not convinced. (laughs) Because I still feel like Nikolai does need a partner who has some, like, just because of his position. Not that he needs to marry, like, royalty necessarily, but, like, I kind of feel like Nina has her own mission that's, like, very different from what he needs to rule Ravka. But I don't know. Well, she definitely couldn't be tamed. Like, she's not going to be some queen who's just going to, like, follow his yeah. lead. But I don't think that's what he wants. No, I agree. But I still think, I mean, because, you know, even when he was into Alina a little bit, he was, like, they both wanted the best for Ravka. And not that Nina doesn't want the best yeah. for Ravka, but I just feel like her priorities, at least right now, are kind of, yeah, shifted to this, like, uh, externally focused. But that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you're trying to, if you think... That's like their greatest enemy, and she's trying to build bridges. Maybe I'm I'm coming yeah. around, but I'm I'm still not sure. Okay, I want to see them interact and then decide. <laughs> yeah, they need some waffles together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do both enjoy some of the finer things in life. So exactly, yeah, I think they could be really good. <laughs> um, the other part that made me cry was when Inez met her parents again. Oh, that was so good. <sighs> that was so sweet. I had a feeling that was coming when Kaz was, like, getting the secret notes and stuff. I was like, the one thing that he can give her still is her parents somehow, but... And buying her this ship and, you know, 
selling off her debt to... Yeah, giving her her freedom back. Pierre Haskell. Yeah, giving her freedom, exactly. I really love that part. And I really liked seeing Kaz and Inej kind of... Like, they were really trying at the end, and you kind of felt hopeful that they might have a future together. It wasn't perfect by any means, but they were both making an effort. Yeah, and they were reaching an understanding. Like, they weren't... Yeah. They weren't, like, pushing against each other. They weren't quite on the same page, but they were kind of headed towards each other again. Yeah, and they were both kind of admitting their vulnerabilities a little bit. Because she was like, you know, this isn't easy for me either. Like, I had a really terrible history, you know, in this brothel. And, like, it's hard for me to be intimate with someone too. And so I feel like they have a kind of a mutual understanding. I actually loved that. Yeah, I love that she brought that up because it's so true. I mean, human t- I mean, didn't you even say when you were looking up um, Kaz's oh, yeah, issue that a lot of people who develop it had, like, some kind of assault yeah. in their past or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like seeing some of her memories Oof. and, yeah. It was oh, really ugly. And it was sad how um, she said that her memories of, the men- of her time in the menagerie would just hit without warning because that's so true with any kind of trauma or like grief it's like you can be going along and you're fine and then all of a sudden it just hits you like a punch to the stomach and she was had that moment where she was on the silo and she just was hit with that really bad memory of the man who um recognized her from when she was younger and was performing at the um in the with her family and she just couldn't like escape out of her mind because it was he, he was like he invaded her most personal memories of like who she was before well and yeah I mean she was talking about how she used to be able to or generally could kind of like leave her body behind Mm -hmm. during the experience but how that like tied her to it and also if you saw this kid free I mean I don't get any of it but why would you like why would that I feel like if I I don't know I wouldn't I wouldn't want to mention or remember that in that situation but no I've also never been in that situation, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But speaking of Inej, I actually, I did some research on tightrope walking because I really liked how we kind of went more of her memories. Did you also research tightrope walking? Oh, man. (laughs) I researched something else, though. So (laughs) this is the first time our research has overlapped. (laughs) Oh, my God. What happens? Did we say what was going to happen if we both had the same research? No, I guess we just talk about it. Mostly you should let me talk first because you probably know way more about whatever it is no, no, than no, I do. No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> but, um, but I loved hearing some of her stories about like learning how to tightrope walk and like taking how she felt like the confidence up on the rope and some different things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if you remember or went to go see it, but uh, Nick Walenda. Nick Walenda in Chicago. Brian Walenda's, yeah, was in Chicago. What was that, 2014, 2015? Yeah, we watched it at Alicia's house. Did you? Okay, I watched it on the street. Okay, I watched it at Alicia's house because I was too scared to see him in person. I know, I was really nervous. So just for those who weren't there, he walked without a rope between, like, basically across the Chicago River. I forget the exact uh, It was um, Marina City to the Leo Burnett building. Okay, perfect. And he walked across it once and then walked across it blindfolded, right? Yep. And he did it in seven minutes. Yeah. And it ended up being a lot steeper than they thought it was going to be, right? Like it was supposed to be 15 mm-hmm. degrees and they ended up doing 19 degrees. And there also... And there was wind. I remember there was something like 
Because there's a rule in Chicago, or maybe it's in Illinois, about uh, public performances that are 20 feet or higher, you're required to have safety devices. Oh. But... But he didn't have one. Yeah. So I was kind of looking into that a little bit more, and I guess they, like, determined that the purpose of the law was to protect performers from being forced to work in unsafe conditions against their will. But, like, that situation didn't apply to him because he is, like, his own level of elite performing, and it was his decision, not anyone else's decision, to perform without a net. But I thought that was kind of interesting because I remember specifically there was nothing to protect it, and I think uh, when they were recording it, they had, like, a 10-second delay or something so that if he fell, they could turn it away. (gasps) Oh my god, I was too scared that we would be in the crowds and that someone would distract him. That's why I was like, I can't watch this in person. Well, I remember, I like could barely see it, but I was kind of okay with that anyways. Because, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things where like, you kind of, like, you go so, like, something could happen, but you don't actually want something to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of, like, if nothing happens, it's cool, but it's sort of just like someone walking really high in the oh air. I don't know, but, but like, you don't so amazing. And then I was reading a little bit about, um, so he's like a seventh generation tightrope walker acrobatic person. (laughs) And um, I was reading about some of his family members who've uh, died on the job. Oh, no. Yeah, the flying Walendas. Yeah. So in 1978, his great-grandfather plummeted 10 stories when he was walking between two buildings in Puerto Rico. And then in 1962, um, they were doing a seven-person pyramid on the wire at Detroit's Shrine Circus, and two family members were killed and another was paralyzed during that performance. Oh, my goodness. So, like, not only, I mean, like, but but then they keep having, you know, each generation they're still doing it. So it's kind of kind of crazy. But it's kind of interesting how, like, even Inej says in the book, you're either born to the high wire or you're not. And so I feel like with a family like that, I feel like you're kind of born with it. I don't know. Yeah. It just makes you believe that there's like some kind, something in their family that makes them like super good at doing this. Yeah. So I was reading some tips for how to be good at tightrope walking. So um, you want to lower your center of gravity of your body toward the wire. So you're supposed to, well, they say a lot of people tend to try to, like, shift forward or, like, lean forward, but even though that lowers your mass, it also disrupts your, like, sense of space, so you're likely to fall. So instead, oh, you're no. supposed to stand up straight and just lower your hips by bending your knees to bring your oh. center of gravity down. Okay. And then they also say something that people don't think about is that the wire itself tends to rotate, so as you're walking along, it kind of um, spins under you. Which could throw oh, you off balance. So <laughs> not you that I'm to... ever going to walk on a wire, but <laughs> so you have to increase your rotational inertia. Mm-hmm. So basically, how does one do that? <laughs> you need to like push with your body to fight against the direction the wire wants to rotate. Um, okay. And then they'll say, like, I'm sure you've done those like boards that are like a foot or two off the ground at a playground where you like walk across and it's like as big as your foot it's like a balance beam or whatever um and it to like if you stick your hands out horizontally it kind of helps you balance Mm -hmm. so that's why a lot of times they use the pole because it actually it like increases it spreads your mass out even further and improves your ability to fight that rotational force very cool so and because it does that since it 
um, and proves that it actually gives you more time to correct your motion if you slip because it's like, I don't know exactly, I don't understand the physics completely, but basically the long pole allows you to react more if something were to go wrong too. It's okay. not as immediate. Very cool. But that's what I read about. What, did, what else did you learn about tightrope walking? Well, I read, I was just doing some research about like famous tightrope walkers. So I read about Nick Walenda and then I also read about, so um, there's this guy, his name is Jorge Ojeda Guzman and he is a man from Ecuador and he holds the current world record for tightrope endurance and he lived for 205 days on a high wire. So what did he, he what did he do up there? <laughs> so okay, so he was there from January first to July twenty fifth in nineteen ninety three, and my okay, my first two questions were how do you go to the bathroom and how do you sleep? Also, do you bring books with you? No, I mean he just like walked on the wire. You just walk back and forth. He walked back and forth, and he for two hundred days. A, he had a radio. And he, um, his wife and kids would visit him in a cherry picker. <laughs> <laughs> and he had um, a portable toilet that he would raise, that his wife would raise and lower for him. That's crazy. So, yeah, she is a saint. I just can't imagine spending that much of my life in that confined of a space. Take away yeah. the balancing piece of it and everything. But well, he like, had like a platform built that was like very, very small platform. So he did have like a space to sleep, but it was still considered like on the high wire. Okay. Um, and then people would use the cherry picker to bring him clothing and food, water, and whatever he needed. But I just thought, well, it was kind of sad because he, so his wife and kids did visit him, but they said that he had one of his daughters, they, they were doing, um, they were having their kids keep a journal for like every day their dad was up there. Uh-huh. One, of the, one of the little girls just wrote one page in the journal the whole time. And all <laughs> she wrote on the page was, I can't wait for him to come down. <laughs> oh, that's a really long, how old were his kids? They were, I mean, they were like in elementary school, I think. And his poor wife also. Just I know, like... but just like, it's so crazy. And then, um. I also was reading about the oldest tightrope walker, one of the oldest. He was 82 when he crossed the South Boulder Creek, which was 125 feet up and 635 feet across. Wow. And then um, I just read about the first guy to cross the Grand Canyon was um, Jean-Francois Gravelet, and he was called the Great Blondine. And he crossed the Grand Canyon... Um, many times and he became famous because he would like pause in the middle to drink a beer like one time he rode a bicycle across um one time he stopped to cook an omelet halfway through (laughs) and he also would um like carry people on his back and once he went across on stilts blindfolded wait talking about carrying people on their back i was reading this one story about um this catholic priest who was doing a fundraiser (laughs) And he was okay. supposed to be carried across the rope on the back of a circus performer. Um, and, like, they had to change it last minute because they couldn't lift the priest. So oh. instead, he he walked along a tightrope, basically. The priest did? 
Yeah, but like he like the it was like uh, doing the what's it called the cucaracha or no um what's that where you like put Macarena. your hands on no where you put the hands on someone's shoulder and like oh the conga line the conga line it, so it looks like a conga <laughs> line so like instead of the guy holding him on his back he's like walking in front of him and the and the priest has his hands on his shoulders oh but he didn't have any experience no I don't think so I mean oh, I didn't no way. I didn't dig into it that much but he's. And there was no safety equipment there either. So he was raising money for the Sussex Beacon Charity, which provides specialist care and support for people living with HIV. Wow, that's a brave priest. <laughs> yeah, but I guess, but even, I think it's already brave to like go on someone's back. Yeah. But then I to mean, just be like, true. oh, everyone's here and you can't lift me. Like, I think the best idea is for me to walk behind you. <laughs> just conga down the street. Just, you know, have a dance party and raise money that way. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it was fun learning about Inez's past and how that factors into her, into her life. It was also interesting to see what she thought was her shadow. Okay, so that's the other thing that I researched. Okay, tell me more. Because that was, I loved that part where she, um, I guess it, it's this, it's a Sully belief that every time you sin, your sins give birth to shadows. And the more you sin, the stronger the shadow becomes until it becomes stronger than you. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea. I love when Kaz was like, well, if that were true, my shadow would be huge. And she was like, maybe you're someone else's shadow. Yeah. So, the idea that he is Pekka Rollins' shadow is just... I got, like, chills when I read that. <laughs> so I went on ancientorigins.net, and I looked up doppelgangers. Because that was, like, the closest thing I could think of to, like, a shadow twin or, like, a shadow spirit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so doppelgangers are a German legend, and it's um, a replica or a double of a person, and they cast no shadow. Oh, they don't... I didn't know that part. Yeah, which I thought was cool because, like, they're in the store in um, Crooked Kingdom, they're, like, shadow twins. Yep. But um, they cast no shadow. And they say that if a person, if the doppelganger is seen by a relative or friend, it foretells bad luck, illness, or danger to that person. But if you see your own doppelganger, it's an omen of death. Oh, and man. they say that, yeah, and they say that um, they may attempt to give, your doppelganger could attempt to give you advice, but you should never listen to it because they are purposely trying to mislead you and they'll give you um, like malicious advice. And they've also been known to plant evil, sinister ideas in your head. So they really so, are like your evil twin. Kind of, yeah. And you're, you're not supposed to talk to them at all. So do you have a doppelganger somewhere? Um, no, but my sister does. Okay, tell me more. I mean, this is, this is insane, but she has a doppelganger in Pittsburgh, and I know because I've seen her, her friend has seen her, and then she's also seen her. My sister has has seen her doppelganger. Wow. But she's doing fine, so don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the first time, and it was funny because when Inej was talking about how they get stronger and stronger and stronger, I was just, like, peeing my pants laughing because... The first time I saw the doppelganger and I just saw her in the street and I was like, oh my God, that really looks like Meredith. And then the second time someone saw her, um, it was my sister's friend and he saw the girl who looked like my sister sitting in my sister's exact car. 
Oh my goodness. So she has her car. She had the same make, model, and color of my sister's car. And it was like to the point where her friend, he, like, he went up to the window and was like knocking on the window of this poor girl's <laughs> car because he thought it was my sister. Yeah. And then, you're not going to believe this, but the third time my sister saw her and <laughs> she was sitting in her car and next to her on the on the passenger seat was the exact dog my sister has. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so she has the same car and the same black and tan chihuahua that my sister has. And she was just like freaking out. So not only She's... does she have a shadow doppelganger, but her dog has a shadow doppelganger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poor Moose. Yeah, and she was just like, it keeps getting worse. Like every time someone sees her, she's like stealing more and more of my identity. <laughs> that is so funny. So I know. I have a doppelganger supposedly too, oh. but it's not as creepy as your sister's okay. doppelganger. But there's a bartender somewhere in Evanston who multiple people have mistaken her for me. Like, like I've gotten multiple texts from, and it's like a bar I used to go to when I lived in Evanston. Okay. Um, and pe- like I've gotten texts from people being like, oh, I thought you were working at this bar. And then I realized it wasn't you or whatever. But like from multiple Ooh. different people. And so every time I'm in town, I go to the bar. But now I shouldn't because I obviously don't no. want to meet her. But I've never <laughs> seen her. So I'm safe. Now. <laughs> I'll keep my eyes open for her, though. <laughs> yeah, next time you're in Evanston. Although it's, it's been a couple years, so maybe she moved on to other things in her life. Well, so I was reading about other people who have seen their doppelganger, mm-hmm. and there are a couple famous people who have said that they've seen them, and one of them is Abraham Lincoln. Interesting. Yeah, so he was said to have seen his doppelganger, um, <clears throat> and it was after he was elected in 1860. He looked in his bureau mirror and he said he saw himself reflected double in it. And he said that the second image of him looked identical, but it it was a little paler. So his face was a little bit paler. He said it was like five shades lighter than his normal skin. And his wife said, his wife was like really disturbed by it. And That's she so said, creepy. yeah, and she said that it was a bad omen and it meant that he would serve his first full term, but would not finish his second term. How does she know that? I know. I mean, and that's exactly what happened. Like, yeah. he was killed in, what, 1865? Yeah. Ooh, and it was, like, right into his second term. It's so creepy. That is creepy. I'm Keep getting... in mind, I have no idea if this is actually true. This could just be, like, a complete legend. But. Okay. So, this is kind of appropriate because we talk about young adult fiction. But one of the books that I say changed my life is this book called Stranger With My Face by Lois Duncan. Did you ever read it? Oh, wait. Is that like... That's not the one with the face in the milk carton. No, but it's... I, like, read it around the same time when I was into, like, those kind of books. But there's, like, this part where the girl looks in the mirror and gets, like, a weird feeling and goes to sleep, and then she realizes, like, her reflection was smiling and she wasn't smiling. And I'm not going to, like, tell you the rest of the story, but that, like, scene has stuck with me to the point where I can't look in mirrors at night by myself, like, because, or if I do, I have to, like, very intentionally, like, smile at the mirror so that I know that I'm smiling on purpose. Like, that's how much, that's why I say it it impacted my life, not necessarily in a, like, life-changing great way, but in a I can't look in mirrors at night anymore way. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's so crazy. 
It, the imagination is weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. Well, now I'm like nervous to look in mirrors. <laughs> I know. I, there's actually a mirror sitting behind the computer right now, and I'm like hiding my head from it so I can't see it. But <laughs> Oh, gosh. So the other scene that I wanted to talk about from the book. Oh, did you finish your doppelganger stuff or was there anything more? No, that's it. I'm done. Um, was, so Wylan and Jesper finally got together too. I know. Thank God. And Jesper agreed or suggested that he would help him read. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was actually one of my favorite parts was when, um, they were sending Van Eck away and he was like, my son can't even read. And he, and he and he had like memorized the yeah document or whatever, and to the point because I kind of feel like even if he couldn't read, it shouldn't have been the end of the world. Like, no, I still think like it shouldn't have legally prevented him from anything. But um, it was just funny because it made Van X seem even crazier. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this delu- like I felt like everyone was like, this. Why did we listen to this delusional old man? Like, <laughs> like everything he really said is good. false. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way they Good for him for memorizing, for thinking that, like, I should memorize this just in case. Yeah. And then the other thing I loved was it kind of felt full circle that when Kaz ran into Pekka Rollins the last time, he basically leveraged his reputation, sort Mm -hmm. of like he did in the first scene of Six of Crows, to say, like, if you don't hurry, your son's going to die. Like, he's buried alive. And it kind of reminded me of what he said. I forget the guy's name, but in the first book when he was like, if you don't, you know, let me walk out of here, then your mistress is going to be killed. And in both cases, he hadn't actually done anything. He had just, like, known enough information to, Mm -hmm. and had a bad enough reputation to, yeah. And you know what, it's it's interesting, because I was thinking about the end, because Vanek definitely, you know, gets what's coming to him. But then I was thinking, like, is it a satisfying revenge for, for Pekka Rollins? And I was torn because I was just like, I like that he didn't completely destroy him because it still builds on the whole, like, my work's not finished. It's still brick by brick. Like, we're still working towards this goal. But he definitely did have some bad things happen to him. And I do feel like, I mean, because we saw that scene, the very last scene in the book is, like, Pekka Rollins off in the countryside. He's, like, lost all his confidence. He's, like... Yeah, doubting he's himself, he's imagining his son dying all the time, and then Inez shows up when he thinks he's safe, and mm-hmm. probably makes it all the more all the worse. And I also like how he still couldn't remember Jordy's name. Oh, Jordy's name. Yeah. yeah. And I like. I mean, I think they the, the fact that he is going to recover financially eventually, like he'll recover his losses, but I don't know if he will come back from the fear of like, worrying that these people that he's wronged are going to come back and haunt him, like Kaz has done. And I think that's worse. Like, I mean, yeah. like, money doesn't really mean anything if you can't even enjoy it or appreciate it. Or if you don't feel safe. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, especially when, when Inez came in and he didn't even see her coming, and when she replaces his son's stuffed lion with the crow, yeah, it was such a good, like, you'll never see me coming, but I'm watching you. Like, yeah. oh, so, so basically you can never feel safe because as yeah. soon as you think you are. And I also think it was, okay, so obviously Pekka Rollins had a hand in what happened to Kaz and his brother, but mm-hmm. I still sort of feel like it sucks, but they just, <laughs> like, they got taken advantage of, you know, like, I don't feel like Pekka Rollins in that 
particular incident was like the most evil person to ever walk the earth or like, you know, like I get why Kaz is so hooked on it because his brother eventually died, but his brother died because of the plague, which could have happened anyways. And while it was like, I don't think he knows, like, I think it's kind of appropriate that I feel like the real thing that Pekka Rollins did was like get into Kaz's head and like kind of create this monster. And so I feel like his revenge is getting in Pekka Rollins head. Yeah. And uncreating a monster or something, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. But. Yeah, because you get the idea that he's probably going to... I mean, Inej says if he ever comes back to Canada, she will cut his heart out. So he's yeah. basically like, he's out of the city. He he probably won't be able to prey on people again like he did to Kaz and his brother. And he definitely would think twice before he did at this point. For sure. So yeah, I mean, I think it was just like showing Kaz making one step towards his promise to Inej where they were going to try and root out corruption in Ketterdom. Yep. And I liked that a lot because I think it shows that they both think the city is worth saving. And mm-hmm. at the same time, they both think each other is worth saving. Because Kaz is like such a symbol of Ketterdom in a lot of ways. And so I think like that desire to save each other and save the city was like a really beautiful way to end it. Yeah. And I mean, it is true. As much as he's can be very, very severe. I feel like he does have some sense of morality. Like, he he didn't take advantage of people in a certain way. He, right. like, you know, and, and when... He might have, like, overreacted to some things, but, like, for the most part, he didn't go and kill innocent people. Like, maybe killing any of the people he killed wasn't necessary, or at least some of the people wasn't necessary, but... He wasn't I think like. There's a fairness to him. Yeah, it's a harsh, but it's still, I think, in his mind, a, a, a fairness. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and he's just so clever. And I, again, <laughs> I just like really respect his competence in these situations. And I love when he that he selected the menagerie when they were doing that fake plague outbreak. That he yep. selected that as like a site to shut them down, essentially. Yep, that was another one of those like small gifts. Or Inej kind of things. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that scene where he goes back to um, confront the Dime Lions and Pekka Rollins and he just lets them, like, beat the crap out of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was good. Yeah. It was just... all good. I mean, every, like, I just, I was very impressed with everything. Especially once, like, everything went wrong. Like, I still thought they had a good plan. And then all three groups, or I think it was three groups, were, like, attacked or whatever mm-hmm. by people. And then even things like assuming that the Tide Makers weren't actually going to get involved, <laughs> yeah. so pretending to be Tide Makers. And, you know, Nina being, like, the pregnant lady on the boat. Just, like, all these, like, little details that are... That made it come together. Yeah. The one thing that totally I fell for, and it was hard taking notes for this because, like, I would I would write something and then I'd have to cross it out and be like, no, never mind, um, was when Wyland got kidnapped. And they were torturing him for information. And it was like, because the writing was so convincing. He was like, he was going to have the strength of Inej and the cunning of Kaz. And he was going to resist them. And then in the end, it was like, nope, he was just wildin' and he told them everything. And I was like, oh, that was like so sad to read. But then in the next chapter, you learn that they staged the kidnapping. And, and was, that they had like a fake version of the story that they wanted yeah. him to find out. To make, again, to like... Just, like, completely ruin his reputation and prove him a fool. Venek, yeah. Like, even though, 
uh, 70% or more of what he said was accurate or based on, you know, something real, it, like, undermined everything possible. <laughs> yeah. Although I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't see more of the shoe fighters again. I mean, yeah. I guess Jesper had that one run-in, but I sort of thought that that was going to be more of a thing that we would have to contend with. Same here. I, 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 when I got to the end, I was like, wait a minute, what about the people with the metal in their bodies? Yeah, because even, I mean, Jesper just dealt with one of them, and, you know. That was cool, know. though, um, how you kind of learned about Jesper... How his gambling addiction was a result of him maybe not using his power. Yeah. Because he was like, well, yeah, Grisha gets sick when they don't use their power, but I'm not sick. And I think it was Matthias who was like, there's a lot of different types of sickness. I think multiple people ended up telling him kind of the same thing, and he eventually got there. But yeah, Matthias said something, Inej said something, and Wyland said something. Yeah. Oh, I love that Wyland got all of his father's money and brought his mother home. Yeah. And now he has someone who he can trust to, like, you know, help him. Although his mom, even though his mom was falsely imprisoned, it kind of seems like she might be a little bit uh, worse for wear after that experience. For sure. Yeah, that's not something you just bounce back from, but at least she's out of there. Yeah, at least she's in a much better situation. Oh, oh my goodness. It was good. I also just really liked... um, Oh, the scenes where you saw Kaz when he was like, you saw a couple flashbacks where he was trying to kind of make a name for himself early on, Mm -hmm. um, where he was really struggling with his phobia. Yep. And that was so hard to like watch him struggle with anything, especially since like he knew it being in the barrel, you can't afford to show any weaknesses. And like his first job, he like bungles it because he can't stand the feel of the guy's skin Mm -hmm. and I just thought it was like his motto about like never allowing people to see your weakness I thought was so interesting and it's not even about like people can see your weakness but they can't see that you're ashamed by it he was just like don't let shame decide who you're gonna be yeah I just thought that was like well it was also I mean it was so hard to watch him try to overcome his phobia before too and just like realize how deep like him and Inej are definitely trying, but they've got, they've both got a lot to overcome before there's any kind of, um, you know. Yeah. It was just hard to see him fail at something. Like, cause he was like, anything I tried to learn, I could master. And it was just the one thing that he could not control. Yeah. And I, and I mean, it seems like some, you know, like touching someone doesn't feel like a big thing to overcome, but it is for him because of his phobia. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, yeah. it's not like he struggled with like something crazy you know it like it was kind of interesting that it was such a simple task for other people yeah for other people right because even I mean the fact that he uses a cane like he doesn't let that stop him you know yep that doesn't factor at all into how formidable he is and I like when he was like when people see me coming they think they need to cross the street yeah yeah that was a good a good line but I mean it, it was I think it was um just it added to the richness of the story that he did have a weakness. Yeah. You know, because otherwise he would have been just this, like, perfect criminal character who you don't... Like, you feel empathy towards him, or at least sympathy, because of this backstory that, that the author created for him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think all the characters grew so much from each other. Like, I'm thinking, you know, Matthias and his ability to kind of accept Grisha near the end, even though he had an end. Um, Wyland accepting his um, reading disability. Jesper kind of embracing his Grisha-ness. I mean, just like, I feel like everyone has really grown from this experience with the rest of the crew. Yeah, I totally agree. And even just like Jesper at the end when he uses the, like, Inej's words, like, this action will have no echo. Oh, I did love that phrase too, though. I love that. Because he didn't, um, they don't have a word for I'm sorry. But I, I liked that he was just like, I can't make amends for what I did, but I can only be better, try to be better moving forward. And I think that was just so true for all of them. I think that was such a good Sully saying too. It was basically like, I assume if you did something to me, it wasn't intentional and you'll Mm -hmm. try to do better in the future. And so like, I just, I love that whole outlook on life. I do too, because it's like, you always give people the benefit of the doubt. Yep. Which is a wonderful way to think. And still like that self-improvement or, you know, like you recognize that you maybe did something you shouldn't have. And I know that next time you're going to try not to put yourself in that situation. And so I'm not going to beat you up for something that's already Yeah. Which you do see Kaz and Jesper, like, get into a pretty big fight. But then you see Kaz kind of, like, trying to forgive him. And you also realize that some of his issues are, like, not with Jesper so much as, like, his past and, you know, how he's even, like, still kind of mad at his brother, even though he loves and misses him. Yeah. Because he, like you know, was such a young kid and feels mm-hmm. like his brother kind of let him down. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's, he was angry at his brother and he was angry at himself. Yeah. And it's just that combination that, that's. Yeah. But really he's just angry at the situation and he doesn't know who yeah. to blame. So he like goes through this like blame cycle and yeah. I also, I liked how Jesper, or I think it was Wyland who pointed it out. Like maybe Jesper's such a good shot because he actually was kind of using his Grisha power. Oh, yeah. And that. Yeah, and then kind of back to your earlier point, because that what when you use your power, you, like, feel so good, and maybe that's why he, like, loved fighting so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. And loved his guns. So I thought that was kind of a cool... I thought there was just, like, a lot of nicely tied up in a bow, like, every... Like, I felt like so much stuff made sense, even, like, little details at the mm-hmm. end of the story. Yeah, and, and just, like, I'm so amazed by Lee Verdugo's um, mind, like the way she can create all these twists and turns. And she just presented challenges that were interesting and then had them overcome in really cool ways. And I love when they kept saying like, if you can't beat the odds, you change the game. And it was kind of like changing the paradigm a little bit from Red Rising. Shift the paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was just like every, every problem has an answer, but you just have to be smart enough to find it. I actually, I did think the storytelling reminded me a lot of Red Rising in terms of the reveal of things also, like how, except it didn't bother me as much because of all the different like shifting perspectives. Right. I felt like I wasn't like misled the same way. I just like didn't, you know, we like shifted before I heard the rest of that conversation or something. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel left out the same way that I sometimes did. Yeah. I didn't take it personally. Like, I didn't read Rising. <laughs> and I also, I really, I just, I liked her storytelling, to your point. Like, the flashbacks I felt like were an appropriate amount and at the right time mm-hmm. where we got to understand the characters, but it wasn't, you know, too choppy. And, yeah, it's just a really solid duology. I wonder if she'll write another series in this in this world, like, continuing Six of Crows. Because she left kind of some hints that 
I mean, like, maybe Pekka Rollins isn't quite done, and the Tidemakers have sworn, the real Tidemakers have, like, sworn revenge on Kaz. I don't know. Or maybe, like, a short story or something. I would like to see them, like, ten years from now. I don't know. Well, I wonder if they'll show up kind of like Nikolai did in this one in the Nikolai series. Oh, you know, like, kind of as, like, you know, maybe they'll run into Inej as a busting up slaver, oh, or, you know, so. something like that. I'm so glad we only have to wait until next year to go back to this world. <laughs> Although it's, you said it's a multiple book series, so yeah. I can't start it until they're all out. So oh. it'll probably be like five years. I'm just kidding. That might be an exaggeration, <laughs> but. <sighs> okay. But speaking of. Oh, wait, we have to rate it. We have to rate this. Yeah. And we also have to talk about if it were a movie, what oh. we most want to see. Okay, good. I don't want to okay, be done yet. Okay, <laughs> so rating. What are we rating out of? How many crows? Uh, curve? <laughs> crows. Crows. Okay. <laughs> I'm giving it... Out of six. Out of six. <laughs> five and a half. Okay, I was going to give it five, so... Perfect. At half a crow seems weird. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also, at the beginning of the second book, you thought this heist was less spectacular than the last one. What did mm-hmm. you think about book one versus book two at the end of it? Um, I liked book one better, but I liked how much we learned from book two. Like, book two wasn't necessarily my favorite, but I enjoyed how much depth you got from it. And just, I feel like I know the characters so much better now, and... I loved all the backstories you got, but uh, I think... The other one was just, like, grander in some ways. Yeah, and it was just a little bit more exciting, I think. Yeah. And more I think I like this one better. Oh, really? But I think that's because I I still felt like in the first one, even when things went wrong, it was sort of a contained wrong versus... I felt like in this one, like, when things went wrong, it went, like, completely... Completely, like they had to completely start plan. over yeah. and go back to the beginning and like that's true that's true so favorite scene what was it favorite scene you want made into a movie yeah what would you love to see live or not live but on screen i think mine would be uh inej on the on the screen. silos yeah like her yeah. getting up there and walking across and then running into her shadow for the first time yeah, that was a great one. Um, I liked, okay, I liked whenever Kaz and Wylan break into Vanek's house and they oh, use the one. acid to dissolve the safe. I thought you were going to research acids. That's what oh, I was like. I should have done that. Because as soon as they were like talking about chemistry, I was like, oh, that's what Katie is going <laughs> to gravitate towards. But I like when they, <laughs> um, they get caught in his house and Kaz pours the acid on the floor and they fall through the floor to escape. I was like, yeah, when you make a new door, when a problem happens, you make a new door or a hole well, in the floor. It was funny because like a minute before that, uh, Wylan was like, I don't want to drop any on the floor because it'll make a hole and we'll end yep. up in the dining room. And it was like, oh, great idea. <laughs> Five minutes later. <laughs> I just really liked that. Okay. Um, right. We're kind of running out of time. Anything else you want to say about this series before we introduce our next book? Let's go for it. Let's let's talk about the next series we're going to read because I'm excited about this too. I'm excited too. I haven't I don't really know much about it, but I'm excited because the books are cool looking. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen it all around the Instagram page, so nice. Okay, you introduce. So, we are going to read A Darker Shade of Magic, which is a three-book series by VE Schwab. 
And before anyone starts yelling, <laughs> um, we know that V.E. Schwab writes another line of books under Victoria Schwab, and those books under Victoria Schwab are traditionally YA books. And this book is written under V.E. Schwab, which is a pen name that she uses for books that she doesn't somewhat consider YA. But we did some research and we saw that it does have a YA tag on Goodreads. And even though perhaps the author has made a distinction between the types of books, we still feel that enough people are calling it YA that we want to read it. <laughs> I can tell this is really enough. something that concerns you because that was a long defense of why we're reading it. We want to read it, so we're going to read it. <laughs> Deal with it, people. Or skip the next six episodes, one or the other. But it, it does have a YA tag on Goodreads. So <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit about the book so you know what to expect. And what's the first one called? Oh, the first one is called A Darker Shade of Magic. Um, Okay. Kel is one of the last Antari, magicians with a rare coveted ability to travel between parallel Londons, red, gray, white, and once upon a time, black. Kel was raised in Arnez, red London, and officially serves the Marish Empire as an ambassador, traveling between the frequent bloody regime changes in white London and the court of George III in the dullest of Londons, the one without any magic left to see. Unofficially, Kel is a smuggler, servicing people willing to pay for even the smallest glimpses of a world they'll never see. It's a defiant hobby with dangerous consequences, which Kel is now seeing firsthand. After an exchange goes awry, Kel escapes to Grey London and runs into Delilah Bard, a cut purse with lofty aspirations. She first robs him, then saves him from a deadly enemy, and finally forces Kel to spirit her to another world for a proper adventure. Now perilous magic is afoot, and treachery lurks at every turn. To save all the worlds, they'll first need to stay alive. Ooh. Yeah. I'm excited. Parallel universes. So it's a darker shade of magic, a gathering of shadows, and a conjuring of light. And I love the idea of parallel universes, so I'm super into it. And read up to? Oh, yes. Um, We're going to read up to part nine, Festival and Fire. Awesome. Yay. Okay, so you have to tell me a joke this week. Okay, so Halloween is coming up, and Halloween will have just happened when we post this episode. So what do Italians eat on Halloween? Oh, I'm Italian, so I'm going to like this joke, and I might guess it. What do Italians eat on Halloween? Um, Pasta. We just eat pasta. That's all we eat. Fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> it is a type of pasta. I was right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like that so much. It's a silly one. My Always my go-to Halloween joke, but I just figured you had heard it, is uh, why didn't the skeleton cross the road? Oh, I don't. I don't know this one. Because he didn't have the guts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always love it when I get two jokes. <laughs> Happy Halloween! Here's your Thank Halloween you, because it's my favorite holiday. Alrighty. Alright. That note. Oh, uh, oh no, wait. Oh, oh, no, never mind. Stay here. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say we're taking a week off. Um, yes. So we're not going to post next week, but we'll be back the week after. We'll be back. We'll be Great. back. <laughs> Bye, mourners. <laughs> no funerals. <laughs> Bye, mourners. And bookworms. And go get a library card.
M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.